welcome everyone to Understanding the I Am That Is You podcast. Yay! Hey y'all, it's your girl Wynn Ruffin, and I pray all is well with everyone, and your hearts and minds are full of love, joy, and compassion for all your brothers and sisters in spirit. And no matter how stressful our lives may get at times, or how chaotic the world around us, know that the spirit of the living God is within each and every one to calm and comfort and guide and protect us whenever the circumstances of life seem too much to bear. Never, though, should we blame God for the evils and trials of mankind's existence, but it is the hate and lack of love for one another that dominates the minds and hearts of mankind, which negatively affects the collective consciousness. Hate begets hate. Love begets love. It's all energy. Only when we begin to acknowledge the love and light of the spirit of the living God within us, our mighty I Am Presence, and begin to let love dominate our hearts and minds over negativity, mankind experience the calm during the storm, comfort during the pain, divine guidance leading the way, and the power of the great I Am and heavenly host to keep us safe. Only when, though. Amen. Give thanks and praises for love and life, and y'all be loved. is God. Do not seek him, see him. A Hindu child once said to his playmate, if you can tell me where God is, I will give you a mango. The playmate replied, if you can tell me where he is not, I will give you two mangoes. Yes, where is he not? While most religions teach that God is omnipresent, the majority of people have difficulty in grasping this truth. They are under the illusion that he must be sought in particular places and in definite localities, such as in churches and in heaven. Many make the mistake of attempting to fit their ideas of the deity into their limited intelligence, and liken God unto themselves. They ascribe to him hands, feet, face, senses and emotions, and assume that he is local and individual. The majority are unable to realize his ever-present nearness, but believe he is remote and separated from the universe, inaccessible and only to be approached through intermediaries. Yet Jesus, who knew the Father, has told us that God is spirit, Spirit fills all infinitude, is holy and completely present everywhere and cannot be divided into segments, nor is spirit relegated to some parts of the universe and excluded from others. God is pure intelligence or spirit, the primordial essence of all things, the eternal basis of all forms. God is everything there is, seen and unseen, manifest and unmanifested, for nothing is lifeless but endowed with varying degrees of intelligence, spirit or God. What is his relation to the universe? Deity and nature are counterparts, the phenomenal world is the body of God just as the physical form is the body of man. Just as man's spirit animates all parts of the corporeal body, so does infinite spirit animate all his creations. However, the objective universe is God no more than the corporeal body is man. God is in everything, yet all these things are not God. God is in me, but I am not God. Is God with form, or is he formless? 
God is both with form and without form. God is one but becomes many and is constantly projecting himself into all manner of forms. Forms are superimposed upon spirit and change continually, while God or spirit remains forever the same. God creates by thought and the universe is filled with creations which form his parts. All things are in reality the same substance with different rates of vibration. Seen subjectively there is unity, beheld objectively there is multiplicity. Is it possible to see God, and what is meant by seeing him? Is he perceived or conceived? Never can God be seen with the physical eyes, but only with the eyes of the soul. Never can the architect of the universe be seen sitting on some planet, sun, cloud, throne or mountain. The only necessary qualification to behold him is to be pure in heart. He whose spiritual eyes are open sees God in all existing things. Those who have difficulty seeing God should begin by looking for him in man at his best. It is there we receive the clearest revelation. Every man is God made flesh. He dwells equally in all men, the humblest as well as the greatest, be he man or angel, saint or sinner. God dwells on earth as well as in heaven. He mingles with man and in men on the battlefield, the home, and on the street, in the marketplace and in the mosque. Man is never out of the sight of God. How can we know God? God and truth are inseparable, and our knowledge of the one increases our knowledge of the other. Knowing God is the most important truth to be known, and a true understanding of Him is found within oneself. Since man is never separated from God, he can be contacted instantly and without intercessors. If man wants happiness in this life, if he wants to know who he is, why he was born, and what is the purpose of this life, then let him devote himself to knowing God. However, in order to know God we must study more than his forms, we can do that forever and learn little. We must devote ourselves to observing his ways, his modes of manifestation, methods of operation and study his attributes, which are wisdom, beauty, order, power and love. Knowing God, or oneness with the divine, is the supreme goal of spiritual aspirants. It is the highest spiritual experience, to be attained only by deep contemplation. Oneness with the divine implies not only consciousness of God, but identification with Him. An Eternal Career, by Frank and Lydia Hammer, 1947 Volume 2, Chapter 1 Where, in the records of European magic, can we find cleverer enchanters than in the mysterious solitudes of the cloister? Albert Magnus, the famous bishop and conjurer of Ratisbon, was never surpassed in his art. Roger Bacon was a monk, and Thomas Aquinas one of the most learned pupils of Albertus. Trithemius, abbot of the Spanheim Benedictines, was the teacher, friend, and confidant of Cornelius Agrippa, and while the confederations of the Theosophists were scattered broadcast about Germany, where they first originated, assisting one another, and struggling for years for the acquirement of esoteric knowledge, any person who knew how to become the favored pupil of certain monks, might very soon be proficient in all important branches of occult learning. This is all in history and cannot be easily denied. Magic, in all its aspects, was widely and nearly openly practiced by the clergy till the Reformation. And even he who was once called the father of the Reformation, the famous John Roisling, author of the mythic word and friend of Pico di Mirandola, the teacher and instructor of Erasmus, Luther, and Melanchthon, was Kabbalist and occultist. 
The ancient sortilegium, or divination by means of sorties or lots, an art and practice now decried by the clergy as an abomination, designated by Stat. 10 Jack, as felony, and by Stat. 12, Carolus II accepted out of the general pardons, on the ground of being sorcery, was widely practiced by the clergy and monks. Nay, it was sanctioned by St. Augustine himself, who does not disapprove of this method of learning futurity, provided it be not used for worldly purposes. More than that, he confesses having practiced it himself. Aye, but the clergy called it sorties sanctorum, when it was they who practiced it, while the sorties prenestini, succeeded by the sorties homerici and sorties virgiliani, were abominable heathenism, the worship of the devil, when used by anyone else. Gregory de Tours informs us that when the clergy resorted to the sorties their custom was to lay the Bible on the altar, and to pray the Lord that he would discover his will, and disclose to them futurity in one of the verses of the book. Gilbert de Nogent writes that in his days, about the 12th century, the custom was, at the consecration of bishops, to consult the sorties sanctorum, to thereby learn the success and fate of the episcopate. On the other hand, we are told that the sorties sanctorum were condemned by the Council of Ogda, in 506. In this case again we are left to inquire, in which instance has the infallibility of the church failed? Was it when she prohibited that which was practiced by her greatest saint and patron, Augustine, or in the 12th century, when it was openly and with the sanction of the same church practiced by the clergy, for the benefit of the bishop's elections? Or must we still believe that in both of these contradictory cases, the Vatican was inspired by the direct spirit of God? H. P. Blavatsky If any doubt that Gregory of Tours approved of a practice that prevails to this day, more or less, even among strict Protestants, let them read this, Lendestus, Earl of Tours, who was for ruining me with Queen Fredegonde, coming to Tours, big with evil designs against me, I withdrew to my oratory at the deep concern, where I took the psalms, my heart revived within me when I cast my eyes on this of the 77th psalm, he caused them to go on with confidence, whilst the sea swallowed up their enemies. Accordingly, the Count spoke not a word to my prejudice, and leaving Tours that very day, the boat in which he was, sunk in a storm, but his skill in swimming saved him. The sainted bishop simply confesses here to having practiced a bit of sorcery. Every mesmerizer knows the power of will, during an intense desire bent on any particular subject. Whether in consequence of coincidence or otherwise, the open verse suggested to his mind revenge by drowning. Passing the remainder of the day in deep concern, and possessed by this all-absorbing thought, the saint, it may be unconsciously, exercises his will on the subject, and thus while imagining in the accident the hand of God, he simply becomes a sorcerer exercising his magnetic will, which reacts on the person feared, and the count barely escapes with his life. Were the accident decreed by God, the culprit would have been drowned, for a simple bath could not have altered his malevolent resolution against St. Gregory, had he been very intent on it. Furthermore, we find anathemas fulminated against this lottery of fate, at the Council of Vars, which forbids all ecclesiastics, under pain of excommunication, to perform that kind of divination, or to pry into futurity, by looking into any book or writing, whatsoever. The same prohibition is pronounced at the Councils of Ogda in 506, of Orleans, in 511, of Auxerre in 595, and finally at the Council of Enum in 1110 the latter condemning sorcerers, witches, diviners, such as occasion death by magical operations, and who practice fortune-telling by the holy book lots, and the complaint of the joint clergy against de Gerland, 
their bishop at Orleans, and addressed to Pope Alexander III, concludes in this manner, Let your apostolical hands put on strength to strip naked the iniquity of this man, that the curse prognosticated on the day of his consecration may overtake him. For the Gospels being opened on the altar according to custom, the first words were, And young man, leaving his linen cloth, fled from them naked. Why then roast the lay magicians and consulters of books and canonize the ecclesiastics? Simply because the medieval as well as the modern phenomena, manifested through laymen, whether produced through occult knowledge or happening independently, upset the claims of both the Catholic and Protestant churches to divine miracles. In the face of reiterated and unimpeachable evidence, it became impossible for the former to maintain successfully the assertion that seemingly miraculous manifestations by the good angels and God's direct intervention, could be produced exclusively by her chosen ministers and holy saints. Neither could the Protestant well maintain, on the same ground, that miracles had ended with the apostolic ages. For, whether of the same nature or not, the modern phenomena claimed close kinship with the biblical ones. H. P. Blavatsky The I Am Discourses, Volume 15 The outer intellect of mankind has been reminded repeatedly to call to the great God presence of life, for the help required to overcome the viciousness generated by mankind. So, from tonight, we are very definitely concentrating certain activities of the sacred fire within every large city in this nation. Now let us prepare ahead of time and gather the momentum of sacred fire needed to prevent the slaughter intended. We can prevent that by your call for our legions of the angels of the flaming sword, to move into every big city within this nation and establish for all eternity, every activity of the sacred fire that will forever prevent the hordes of evil and desecration from getting started to produce the destruction they intend. And that's why I am here tonight. Those who minister with me are already at work, or already in action, drawing in and around all conditions that are constructive, these activities of the sacred fire, and we will fan that, so to speak, until it spreads and expands and throws over destructive conditions intended, the power that shuts off their action until they are dissolved and consumed. Please do not let the day go by that you don't demand the great central sun's cosmic Christ blue lightning annihilation of all hate and all life everywhere, forever in this world. Your fierce demand for the cosmic law's annihilation of that hate can come forth into this physical world and act in many channels with which you're not in touch, but which are generating hate that will unite the destructive conditions over the nation that can produce disaster. If you call these forth also to annihilate everything that the atomic bombs have produced in the atmosphere of Earth, and all other destructive forces, those who govern the powers of nature and forces of the elements, can set into action this consuming power, and prevent that which otherwise will take place. You can't fool with the energy of life. Nobody can without penalty. Beloved Mighty Astria So, since there are those unfortunate individuals who have been caught in the whirlwind of hate generated, sometimes many lifetimes, and since many of them have deliberate, intentional plans for desecration and destruction of anything that is decent, anything that's constructive, then there must come this greater activity of the sacred fire to prevent and to offset that which has already gathered within the borders of this nation. 
Sometime each day, if you will demand the great central sun's cosmic Christ blue lightning purifying annihilation of all hate in every big city within your borders, and all hate in those who want only to destroy or desecrate, then that can be intensified every day. And we can produce that much more rapidly than the destructive forces can gather the power to do what they want to do in open violence. So don't waste time criticizing, blaming, condemning anybody, or anything. Just keep pouring on the great central sun's cosmic Christ blue lightning purity that forever prevents hate in any of the big cities of your nation, then everywhere throughout the nation. Hate is what feeds the feeling of mankind, especially individuals who are uncontrolled emotionally. If it touches that uncontrolled energy, well, it qualifies it, that's all. But the sacred fire purity from the great central sun which we direct and which the angels of the flaming sword direct, that purity can go into the energy that has already been qualified with hate, and that sacred fire can consume the hate, and the energy thus purified can be used to protect that which is constructive, and act as a barrier to those who want to enter in to release that destruction. So, this is a very wise, powerful, cosmic way to trap the enemy until the enemy is helpless. When you make the conscious effort to call to life, the beloved I am presence and the ascended host, the angels of the flaming sword, to blaze into a condition the great central sun's eternal cosmic Christ blue lightning purity, that sacred fire going into the energy that's been qualified with hate will consume the hate. Then it enters into that energy and qualifies it with its own sacred fire and holds it for constructive activity and protection, for all that is of the light. This is the way you take the wind out of the sails of the enemy, and more than that, it's a raising activity to the life streams who generated that hate, because when you draw that energy off and consume the hate, that energy belonging to that life stream, when purified and raised into a higher vibratory action, must raise that life stream to greater constructive activity. So, you have a threefold blessing in this call. Even from the standpoint of selfishness, it's the wisest thing to do to obey the law, and I'm speaking of the divine law of eternal mastery. Beloved mighty Astria, 